It's the mid-1970s and the Royal Melbourne Show, a popular agricultural event held at the showgrounds every September, is absolutely buzzing. Lynn Griffiths is a young and ambitious show rider in her mid-twenties. She adjusts her horse's girth as she waits on the outskirts of the ring, ready to woo the judges. Her husband John is with her, and despite being a young man himself, he has the tenacity of a long-standing cowboy, ready to take on a handful of large, rusty barrels in the novelty contests. The avid barrel racer could turn a corner in one breathless twist. I was more interested in horses from the time I, was, I could walk. That's Rodney Griffiths, Robbie's brother, whose duty that day was to keep an eye on his cheeky younger brother, Robbie. I love riding and Robbie is more interested in his animals and looking after the chooks and the, the cows and the pigs. And we had a sort of a mini farm and had every, every animal. And he loved all his animals. Many an animal was bandaged up and cuddled and just generally shown love and kindness from the Cranbourne kid. But before he ever rode for a living, he had a short-lived career as a preteen with another kind of four-legged athlete, a timid greyhound who gained his trust in a short amount of time, a dog he affectionately referred to as Goldie. He had a greyhound which he, with the help of uh, his dad and his pop, it was given to him and he managed to, to perform it to win. You just heard from Lynn, Robbie's mother. My greyhound, Goldie, Torella Gold was his dog. He's a beautiful dog, Goldie. Uh, Uncle Kenno got him for me. He was a malnourished greyhound that was neglected before we got him. He was quite a insecure greyhound that wouldn't come near most people. Goldie, and I was quite on. a tiny young fellow at the time. And what are you doing? probably warmed to me because I was more, because I was small in size. And uh, he used to cower away from most men, fully grown men, probably from his uh, upbringing. And he got his name from being fed on Torella yeast. So he had the name Torella, and then his colour was gold, being fallen uh, uh, is the official colour, but he had that golden coat. So he got his name Torella Gold. So that's how he got his name, and we got him going and taught him to be a greyhound, but he wasn't much of a. Um, you know, chaser because he was a kind dog, so he used to go walking with all the other dogs, and he never used to really. He used to chase the lure, but he wasn't a, a chaser really. With Goldie came a new kind of relationship to animals, one meshed with nurturance, love, and additionally speed and success. With Goldie, Robbie was able to see for the first time how if one works to rehabilitate and restore an animal not used to kindness, one can establish a relationship like no other with he or she. And it's this Robbie had with Goldie, a fawn-coloured, slender dog who planted a seed in Robbie's young mind, perhaps without him even realising it. With Goldie came a scientific repertoire to get her to fine condition. With Goldie came a foreboding experience, to say the least. Robbie was a trainer. Sure, a 13-year-old boy who barely fits into his jeans, but a trainer, no less. In the meantime, Rodney Griffiths is preparing to embark on a new journey, one that would later inspire Robbie. I, was, I always wanted to be a jockey uh, from a very young age. I just loved speed and I loved horses. 
and uh, I loved everything about it. To understand why a 13-year-old boy would leave his family, his school, his friends for 3am starts, bucket loads of instant coffee and a restrictive diet that no one would envy, we must first make sense of what drives young people to the track. And that's a love like no other, almost impossible to put into words. For many young people, being a jockey promises a world like no other. It's the ultimate rags to riches story for most, if you're good of course. There's the cameras on race day, the camaraderie, the feeling of flying as your horse carries you from the barriers to the finish line. Horse racing is adrenaline in its purest form. Yeah, I left home on my 13th birthday. I got permission off the government to leave home. And uh, I, on my 13th birthday, I went to Ken Newman's to be apprentice. I used to live in a little room. And Robbie used to come and stay with me over school holidays. And he became interested in being a jockey. Able to quietly appreciate his brother's budding success, Robbie, by the time he was able to, left school to follow in Rodney's footsteps. His brother's shoes may have been big ones to fill, but Robbie took the challenge in stride. And nobody had more faith in him than Bob Scarlett, an unforgiving and strong-willed trainer praised for his capacity to turn young starry-eyed boys into first-class apprentices. When Bob and his wife Carol bumped into Robbie and his mother Lynn down the street one day, the cogs started turning in Robbie's young mind. I said to Robbie, if you ever want to be a jockey, give me a ring. And Robbie said, no, thank you. I'm going to be a vet. So, okay. So, on the way home, I said to Carol, he's pretty smart, that little Robbie's going to be a vet. A couple of weeks later, phone rings and Carol says it's Robbie on the phone I said don't tell me the vet wants to be a jockey somewhere amongst the velocity the thrill and the expedition of Rodney's newfound career Robbie caught the bug if you've ever galloped on a thoroughbred you'll know exactly the feeling it's something akin to flying but amongst the airborne moments the wannabe vet turned wannabe jockey was learning how to settle into a new family. And at the Scarlet's, the house was humming with action. It was just a hive of activity. Um, Robert Scarlet was already an apprentice jockey. He was busy getting ready for the races. It was a Saturday morning. It was a crazy day. Bob had races. Uh, it was Vicky's 17th birthday. Uh, it was, Mick was riding at the races himself. He was an amateur jockey. It was chaotic. I strapped uh, at Caulfield races that day. Um, Carol was busy organising everyone. Bob was training horses. Mick was getting to the races. Robert was getting to the races. I was getting ready to strap at the races, and it was crazy. It was very, very hectic. That's Carol Scarlett, Bob's wife, and a mother who welcomed each and every apprentice jockey that entered that home with the same love and affection she would her own children. Very, very hectic, but it's amazing, but I, I, I think sometimes you thrive under pressure. Well, I used to help in the stables, believe it or not. Um, I, I did the boxes. Most of our apprentices didn't know how to muck out a box. <laughs> Robbie included. Robbie knew how to ride when he came to me. So every morning I used to saddle a pony and saddle a horse for Robbie and we'd go down the back and we'd work the horse. 
and we'd trot down the side and we'd canter around and we'd bowl them up the hill. This is every day we did this. We used to live together in a little room and then we moved to Epsom. And uh, let's say about Robbie. You just heard from Mick Kent, a well-known Victorian trainer who's had many successes over the span of his triumphant career. But before the likes of Group 1 horses such as Absolutely and Abby Marie came along, a horse named Norwin High was his first Bensdale winner in 1985. Sitting upon Norwin High as he made it past the post was a sprightly 16-year-old Robbie. Mick and Robbie were bunking together at the time. Well, he was beautifully natured, I have to say that. You know, like I don't think he was quite as natural a jockey as his brother, but... Um, had a beautiful, kind, easy nature, and the thing that stuck out to me was his fastidiousness and his neatness. Like we'd have, I'd have six saddles, he'd have six saddles, and I'd get home at night. You wake up in the morning, and they'd be all stacked from the heaviest to the lightest, stacked up in a row in the corner. You know. Mick was dating Bob Scarlett's vivacious daughter Vicky at the time, and the two, alongside Vicky's parents, were used to Robbie's company as well as his need to keep everything in order, including making sure his collection of saddles were polished to the highest standard. But when he wasn't on a strict work regime, he was letting his hair down with the likes of Philip Moore, another fly-in at the Scarlet Home. Philip Moore, who many at the track refer to affectionately as Philby. G'day, I'm Phil Moore, um, also known as Philby. I would have probably been around 22... 23 when I first met Robbie, so who started off um, probably a younger brother, but I never had to turn into an older brother. <laughs> when asked about what their lives looked like in the mid 80s, Philby had this to say Go to the races Saturday, go to, go to the Bridge Hotel on Saturday night, <laughs> get home late and get up Sunday and get get stuck into work because there was no racing on a Sunday but it was a great cultural thing there at Epsom where you sort of um, people that are in the game today don't get to experience because it was like one big family you'd sort of um, wouldn't matter what race meeting you were at you sort of always made your way up to I think it was called the Spinnaker Hotel at the time and make your way up there on a Friday on a Saturday night and There'd be 20 of you, and you sit down and all have tea and then march down the road to the Bridge Hotel images and basically take over the joint. All 14 little jockeys knocking around, giving shit to everyone and then expect the bigger blokes to um, stick up for them when they started something. <laughs> there wasn't a lot the tight-knit group of racing enthusiasts didn't get up to together and a lot of that is probably best left out of a podcast like this. But amongst the kids that had started their new lives on the turf was a rambunctious 16-year-old horse lover named Kerry Ellis, who had left her humble abode in Macclesfield to get a taste of the action at Epsom. I think Kerry, I can remember Kerry with a gorgeous little pony that we bought it called Jelly Tots, and she would have only been about four or five. And... Uh, uh, we had um, Shirani, of course, she had her own horse and, and Vaughan had his. And we joined them up in Pony Club and all the people surrounding there, a great crowd of people at Macclesfield, were all horsey people. That's Gary Ellis, a retired horse trainer and avid country music singer. 
affectionately discussing how horse-mad his three children, Kerry, Sharani and Vaughan, were while growing up. It was no surprise then that Kerry left school to do what most horse lovers did then, to get work at the track. Look, to this very day, I'd been racing all my life and I knew the traumas of the young people that went to stables, particularly the young girls. I, I knew them, I'd been, worked with trainers, I'd seen it happen. So you can imagine how I felt about it. I really, really didn't like it. Any rate, I, when I was asked that she wanted to go and uh, I rang a trainer that had a good reputation in Owen Lynch and I sent Kerry down, down to him. Um, I'd like to say that, you know, it's a very male-dominated sport and people think we're not strong enough and all the rest of it, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't the sort of place Gary envisaged his 16-year-old daughter and he had his concerns. There were always these problems and I think that's when when Sharani, who still had this, had this great love, went down to join her sister, which was very, very, you know, to me, was, was a fabulous thing for him to do because it's a, it's a hard industry, particularly for girls, you know? In 2015, jockey Michelle Payne, the first woman to win the Melbourne Cup, sent ripples through Australia's sporting landscape not just for the way she rode Prince of Penzance, but for the way she explicitly challenged the culture she referred to as chauvinistic, highlighting the way many women are treated in the racing industry. Gary was worried about his daughter's safety, leaving the barriers on 16-hand thoroughbreds, but also at the whim of the countless young men that occupied those spaces. And he wasn't alone in his concerns. Packing up her riding boots, and joining Kerry at Epsom was her dependable older sister, Sharani. Before long, Sharani and Kerry had established themselves as competent track riders within their own right. And it didn't take long for the Bridge Hotel and other local establishments to become a second home for them too. And as they carried on with their new group of friends, they stumbled across a couple of young bachelors, both, strangely enough, brothers. In a hilarious turn of events, the two sisters from Macclesfield started dating the two brothers from Cranbourne. Kerry and Rodney paired up, as did Sharani and Robbie. If you want a funny story, I do remember we were at Epsom, um, a skinny blonde girl climbing up the outside of the house to get to the bedroom. <laughs> Robbie was going pretty really well as a jockey that he was riding, some nice horses. Anyway, and uh, yeah, there was one night there that the blonde girl was caught scaling the side of a two-story house to get into a bedroom. Well, we used to keep talking about this hot blonde, but there was about 10 of them in Epsom at the time. <laughs> so I didn't really know which one. <laughs> but we soon worked it out. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, that was a rare thing. It was a rare thing. As you can imagine, as a battling trainer, I always reckoned that jockeys, I, I detested them. And I always reckoned they were pulling my horses up and they were little, little jerks, I just did that, oh, little rats. any rate, one day they had said to their mum, uh, we've met two nice boys, or words to that effect, and uh, do you think we could bring them up, bring them for dinner on Sunday night? So I said, would it be alright, they've met two nice boys, and I thought, oh, this is good, this is good, this is great. You know, it's two decent young boys they must have met, and uh, oh, I was relieved. <laughs> 
Anyway, I waited patiently. I dressed nicely. I thought this nice but lovely boys were coming for tea. My God, the car stopped. And out, out jumped two members of the Gnome Society. I called them two little jockeys. I hated them. I couldn't believe that's my luck. I've led my kids into horses and now these little infernal rat bags <laughs> with their boyfriends. Oh my God. Next time on Under Starter's Orders, we follow Robbie and Sharani's relationship and what changes for Robbie when he decides to retire in order to pursue a career in training. We'll meet some of his old favourites, some of his first employees and owners, and get to know the little old block on Bellato Road that turned out to be home of what would later be coined Griffiths Racing Stables. If you're enjoying the journey so far, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. It all helps. I'm your host, Greg Miles. Until next time.